Welcome to episode 21 of the Bouncy Museums podcast. This episode is called By the People, For the People, and it's all about Experience Barnsley. The museum opened on the 27th of June 2013, becoming the first museum about Barnsley and its people. Some of you listening were probably there and helped us cut the massive ribbon that went around the town hall. We thought this was a fitting opening as it was the people of Barnsley who helped create the museum. During the National Lottery Heritage Funded Project, lots of people came forward to donate their objects to the museum. Almost everything on display in the museum has been donated to us by members of the public, and that has remained our ethos ever since. In the seven years since opening, people have continued to share their stories and objects with us. 2020 has seen the biggest updates we've made to date. The pandemic might have slowed down slightly, but we're looking forward to welcoming visitors back to the Town Hall from the 7th of November. During lockdown, we've continued to gather your stories and objects in a social media campaign called Show Us Your Stuff, which we are going to turn into a virtual exhibition, so please keep an eye out on our social media channels to see the exhibition and your chance to add to it. Coming up in the rest of this podcast, you are going to hear from a few of the people who have made donations to us and what the items mean to them. So, can you tell me your name? Dom Chambers. And you're a Barnsley person. I'm a bred and born Barnsley, yeah. <laughs> and what is it that you've brought in for experience Barnsley? Well, I brought some Nipsey sticks in. It's an old, an old miner's gear. It goes back to the beginning of the century. Uh, I brought some sticks. I brought some... Uh, some potties, which is a, like a, a pot of marble, with you put it kettles that were tied to boil to fetch all scale off the oh, inside right. the kettles, that's where they come from. Mm. Uh, and uh, an house brick, but a little bit posh with mine, I made mine out of marble. Mm. I had a friend that worked at uh, uh, making gravestones and he made me a special one. Uh, reason that is that it's very hard, mm. and you've got to have a very hard surface for the uh, the nips is to, to respond when you tap it. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a, a dead brick, the, the nipsy do, doesn't rise properly. All right. So now we need to we, we need to start at the beginning. So we're talking going to talk about nipsy. Yeah. Which is different game to known as spell. Yeah. So how is nipsy played? Well, nipsy, you get an house brick, put it on the ground. Slightly tilt it back, and then you put your nipsy, which is shaped like a pigeon egg, with a flat bottom. A pointy one, end, and then you tap it, and it flies up in the air. You have to strike it when it when it rises. Nerd and spell is a different game. That's a one-handed game, is nipsy. Nerd and spell is a, a it's a two-handed game. Something like length of a golf club, with a pummel at the end, and that's in uh, in what they call a trap. Uh, it's like a spring, you put your nipsy in the spring, you sort of your nerve spell potty in the spring, tap the spring and the spring throws it, and then you follow it and you just strike it while it's in the air. So with nipsy you, you, you don't have the aid of the mm. trap? You've no, nipsy it's all, you, you've no aid with anything, you've just, just tap it on the brick and make it rise yourself. And the hardness of the brick? What's the importance of that? Well, if it's a dead brick, what you call a dead brick, it, it is no springing. When you tap it, it, it doesn't rise properly. It'll come up say, probably six inch. And an hard brick, it'll fly up probably 18 inch. And it, it moves faster, you know, it's everybody's preference. But we used to get what they call, um, uh, what they call them now, uh, 
they were pressed, they were pressed brick from uh, Calton Main Brickyard. They were pressed very hard. They used to take all water out of these bricks and they were very hard surface. And then for the OCOs. But like I said, I uh, had a friend of mine who did gravestones and he said, I'll make you better than that. So did everybody have their own brick? Everybody had their own brick. You used to carry it, carry it with them in a bag. All the nipsy sticks. Oh, and the nipsies, oh yeah, were just like... It just looked like a, a team of gangsters coming onto a field with their carrier bags. <laughs> we all used to wear flat caps in them days. And uh, it just looked like gangsters walking down as if you got guns in these long bags. So first of all, can you tell me your name? Marion Carr. And are you a Barnsley lady? My connection is that I was born in Barnsley, but only stayed here six months. But my mother's parents lived in Barnsley. My mother was born in Barnsley. And we visited very regularly until the 1970s. And I would stay with my grandparents when I was a tiny child and a small child and a youngster. And I loved Barnsley and I loved staying with them. And what is it that you've bought for Experience Barnsley? Today I have bought the scales brass scales with weights. They belong to the shop that my grandmother and maternal great-grandmother had, 19 Grey Street, Barnsley. And the shop was purchased by my great-grandmother in April 1914. And the earliest weights and measures mark underneath one of the weights is 1901. So Mrs. Taylor, who owned the shop before my great-grandmother, must also have used the scales in a shop capacity. So what sort of shop? Dry goods, it was called. Um, but the thing that I mainly remember as a small child was the vinegar barrel. People used to bring jugs and my grandmother used to run however much vinegar they wanted into a jug and then put the cork back in. Yeah. And the smell of malt vinegar is very vivid to me as the smell of the shop. I don't remember anything else being wet in the shop. There were loads of sweets, which were called spice, and cigarettes. Um, and my mother and my aunt as small children and my sister and I as small children used to open the cigarette packets and take out whatever we were collecting and rearrange the pictures back in the wheel cigarette packets <laughs> which I remember very clearly <clears throat> um, did, did they sell other things by, by well obviously they sold other um, things by way like sugar sugar, flour, cotton cotton reels, um, when she closed up the shop, it was in the front room, when she closed up the shop, there was a box of 12 cotton reels, which I've still got, um, tins of loads of things. I, I, my main memory is the vinegar and the sweets. And when we used to visit, my grandma used to give us four farthings each. And we could decide whether we'd have to choose to spend it on four things or two things or one thing. And during the war, somehow, um, she got hold of glass jars of gobstoppers. 
gobstoppers were a penny each. And I've got those two jars now, which I use for pasta, mm. actually, mm. which my mother used. Mm. It was full of all kinds of things. Toffees, toffee tins, Silco. Um, I have got the list somewhere, but I can't remember. Mm. The main thing to me, as I say, yeah, was the sweets. The yeah, so yes, the smell of the vinegar and the sweets. Yeah. And the counter was hollow, two drawers in the back of it. And it was hollow. And when I was very small, I, and the bell rang, I used to go in with my grandmother and hide be, be, behind her quite long skirts. And I used to think nobody could see me. And I would hide underneath the counter. And of course, whoever came in knew I was there and would say things to my grandmother like, um, I hear you've got Amy's daughter Marion staying with you now. And my grandma would say, yes, I don't know where she is at the moment. And I used to think that was a wonderful secret. <laughs> so could I ask you just to introduce yourself and tell us uh, uh, when and where you were born? Yeah, Bob Wadsworth. Uh, I was born in Barnsley, 1944. And I've lived in uh, Dodworth for the past 40 odd years. And can I ask you what it is you've come down to be photographed with today? Well, it's, a, it's some sort of hand axe. Uh, Gemma tells me it may be Bronze Age. It's something that was found, under, uh, I understand it was found, while they were constructing the Scout Dyke Reservoir. And it had been at the Barnsley Corporation Waterworks, where my father worked, and he ended up with it. Um, he brought it to our house and gave it to my children some ooh, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, they messed about with it. We then used it as a doorstop for goodness knows how long. Um, I saw uh, an article in the Barnsley Chronicle where you had found some of these things. They were going on display. So I decided to uh, add this to it if it was any use. So what, what made you want to kind of share it? Well, it was in our garden shed. It's been in the garden shed. You've seen the condition of it. I don't... Have they, have they altered it at all? Have they cleaned it? I think they will be, yeah. They will do. Yeah. Uh, but not, not in a horrible way, not to stop polishing it. No, no. I mean, it was, it was just in the back of the shed, and I thought, well, it's doing nothing there. If, if it's of any use, it may as well be on display for people who'd appreciate it. And could you just describe it for us? <laughs> A lump of stone with a hole in the middle. <laughs> the um, and yeah, like you know, we think it's Bronze Age or earlier, possibly. Don't I, I don't know what the current thinking is, but possibly I think the thinking is it's you know five, six, seven thousand years old. Really? Possibly. That's as far as I know, but I'm not the expert at these things. But so, um, what, what's your kind of thought on having something that's that old? <laughs> um, nothing really. I. I <laughs> As I say, it was used as a doorstop, it was then used as a paperweight and, and then it got to the back of the shed and you see there's some oil stains on it where it's been abused so it may, it may as well be in, a, in a, a decent collection. Um, my name's Lottie, I was born in 1995 in the end of June at Barnsley Hospital. And whereabouts do you live? Um, I live in Penniston now. And could you just um, say what it is you've brought along to be photographed with today? Um, we've got my little ponies that I used to play with when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> so how, long, how old were you had? How old were you in your life? Um, I think I got my first one when I was about six. 
And then I played with them till I was about 11. And do you remember where you got them from? Not really. <laughs> My mum bought them, I think. So you've kept them since that time? Yeah. yeah. So what kind of memories do they bring back? Lots of happy memories, mostly. I used to play with my next door neighbour with them. Um, and we used to play for days, like hours in the day. <laughs> so. Did you have a favourite one? Probably my pink one. <laughs> why was that? Because it was pink. That was my favourite <laughs> colour. <laughs> I could just ask, so were you brought up in Peniston? Or? Yeah, I've lived in Peniston my whole life, so I never moved. And what's your earliest memory? Probably getting my first baby doll when I was about four. About four? Okay. And what school did you go to? <laughs> um, I went to Peniston St John's Infant School, which my mum works at. So. so, could I ask you just to quickly just introduce yourself, your name and uh, when and where you were born? Yes, my name is Kate Burland. I was born in 1966. I was born in Barnsley and I've lived in Barnsley all my life. So, could I just ask you what it is that you've been photographed with today? I've been photographed today with um, one of the manuscripts from the Annals of Barnsley which were written by John Hugh Burland and I am a descendant of John Hugh Burland um, and the Annals catalogue really um, from everyday life in Barnsley, um, things like births, deaths, illnesses through to a really detailed account of the Chartist movement in Barnsley because John Hugh Burland was a Chartist um, and he wrote these retrospectively, but he must have taken very detailed notes and had an excellent sort of memory for accounts at the time and wrote them afterwards. Could you just um, tell us a bit about what you know about him? Um, I know that he left school at 10 years old, which is quite stunning when you think he then went on to be an educator. I don't think his, his, um, his experience of school was very positive, but he obviously had a real um, enthusiasm for education so he, he then educated himself basically and um, when Chartism came to the fore he was very much involved with the Chartist movement in Barnes he was very central to that uh, and as a central figure in that movement when Chartism was suppressed or they tried to suppress it he was um, I think an arrest warrant was put out for him and he fled to Driffield um, when he came back to Barnsley I think he was less involved with the Chartist movement and he went into education, he became an educator uh, himself, a schoolmaster. And it was at that time, at that period, that he, he wrote up his experiences and, and what he knew. Um, and these were actually then, you know, published in the, the Barnsley Chronicle at the time as well. So. And you said you photographed taken with the panels. How do they make you feel, kind of? Well, they were the first time that I've touched them, actually. I've seen photocopies, um, but I've never actually touched the book, so that was quite an experience for me as well. And it's, I mean, I'm very proud of his, his um, Chartist history. I'm very proud of his political history and his political legacy. And to just see his handwriting, really, and to, to touch that book is, is quite a moving experience, yeah. Because just to imagine that he, because the book is so delicately, carefully, beautifully written, mm. And the fact that he's poured over that for hours upon hours upon days upon days is amazing, isn't it? Yes, and he, and he does say that, you know, it was in the dark, long nights that he would write that. And obviously he, he had a day job. This was something that he did, uh, that he obviously felt passionate that this needed to be recorded. And he recorded it in extreme detail when you read it. I mean, some of it is the absolute minutiae of what, what was happening. But it's a very detailed and accurate 
well, I presume a very accurate account of what was happening in Barnsley at the time. So all sorts of researchers from E.P. Thompson uh, to local historians have used it as an absolutely invaluable source of, of research. And now it's obviously been digitised. That will make it even more accessible and more useful. And you mentioned about his kind of political ideas. Mm. Um, could you kind of just sum up what, you know, what those were and what you see them as being? Well, he was, he was involved in the Chartist movement, so he was obviously, um, he wanted uh, better conditions and rights for, for working people, he wanted them to have access to the vote, he wanted, uh, he, you know, he was part of that Chartist movement that had a list of um, demands that they wanted, they wanted to change parliament, they wanted working people to be more involved in that um, democratic process. And so he was very instrumental in that political movement in Basi, hence, hence the sort of uh, having to flee to Driffield. Um, and he was um, involved in a lot of committees. He would give a lot of time to his that to that political movement. So he was he wasn't just somebody on the periphery of that. He was something somebody very much in in terms of a mover and a shaker in terms of making things happen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed these small snippets from some of our donors. You can see the objects featured in this podcast and hundreds more at Experience Barnsley, which reopens on the 7th of November. Visit the Barnsley Museum's website for latest updates.